We're getting closer to the end of our Resurrection Power series and the miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're up to Matthew, the miracle that we find in Matthew 15, verse 29, which is continuing right on from the miracle that we saw last week. Matthew 15, verse 29. Let's listen to God's holy and infallible word. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. And then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground and then he took the seven loaves and the fish And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides means plus women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. I don't think I said that right. I practiced it, but that um, Jesus' miraculous provision for life's journey. As I've said earlier in this series, I don't believe these miracles of Jesus are there for us to copy. They're not there for us to emulate today. These miracles and others in Scripture were performed uh, to highlight uh, the Lord and His kingdom in very special periods in the history of the redemption of God's people. These days, God can and does do miracles in our lives, in the world, uh, but the miracles that we should be especially looking for are the miracles of of salvation and the miracles of renewed hearts and minds, these types of miracles of salvation, of spiritual renewal in our lives, they're longer lasting and they're even greater than these nature, healing, and dominion miracles we read in the Gospels and the one we have today that's what we call a supply miracle. Today, I believe we're being shown something of how the Lord provides for everything we need on our life's journey. And first we see that Jesus proclaims to the world his miraculous provision. He proclaims to the world that he provides everything needed for life's journey. Just in the previous chapter, and this must have been maybe three or maybe three weeks ago that we looked at this together, um, there was the feeding of the 5,000. That also was a sign and a miracle of God's provision. 
Now, why do we have another miracle about this? Well, these two aren't, some people think, oh, it's just the same miracle told in different ways, but these are not the same miracle. They're separate miracles, um, similar but different. This is a second feeding miracle. Uh, The numbers of men in the crowds are different, 4,000 men versus 5,000 last time. The amount of food Jesus multiplied is different, seven loaves and a few fish here instead of earlier, five loaves and two fish. Here we have seven baskets left over instead of 12 last time. Also, the crowds had been with Jesus here for three days. The last time, it was just one day. We get a clue that the time of year might have been different too. In the feeding of the 5,000, the people sat on the grass, but they sat on the ground for the feeding of the 4,000, and that's just how things progress from spring to summer in Israel, uh, just like in Southern California, which has a very similar climate where I spent uh, some years in my youth. So the spring grass withers in the dryness and the heat of summer. Most importantly of all, the people that made up the crowds were different. And that especially helps us understand the point of Matthew putting a second feeding miracle in his gospel. Jesus was in Israel for the first feeding, and so the crowds would have been Jews. Last week, remember, Jesus had moved outside of Israel with his disciples when he healed the demon-possessed daughter of the Canaanite women. As our passage starts, Jesus has journeyed quite a ways away from where he was with that Canaanite woman, and he's moved to the Sea of Galilee. Part of the shore of the Sea of Galilee the south-southeastern shore, was in Gentile territory. In other words, non-Jewish. And that's where Jesus must have traveled to because the people in our text praised the God of Israel. That would not be a natural thing for an Israelite crowd to, for, to describe what an Israelite crowd would do. It would just say they praised their God Uh, But it would be a natural thing if they were praising Israel's God for non-Israelites to say. So there are a number of reasons this is in non-Jewish territory. And and so the feeding of the 4,000 is a repeat of what he did in Israel outside of Israel now for non-Jews. And that's true of all these healings in the first few verses too. Jesus had done tons of healings for Jewish people, uh, the lost sheep of Israel, like we saw last week, uh, who he came to proclaim his kingdom to first. Uh, But then as they started rejecting him, his message moved to the Gentiles as well. And that's the flow of God's salvation message that the Bible tells us. In those Old Testament books, in Old Testament times, He was working especially with Israel, mostly through that one nation, and that's why Jesus was born a Jew. But all along, 
The plan was to tell the whole world of God's love for sinners. There were hints of that, even in Old Testament times. All along, anybody who believed in the Lord could be saved, not just Jews. And so you had people like Ruth and Rahab. But those examples of non-Jewish people were far and few between. Matthew mentions those exceptions, Ruth and Rahab in particular, in his genealogy of Jesus in chapter 1. And then as we move through his gospel like we are, we see more and more hints that Jesus came for all people. Jesus in Matthew commends the faith of some Gentiles and then lest we think that it's always going to be an occasional non-Jew who will be able to enter God's kingdom, a Gentile here and there, here in our text, Jesus blows it wide open. Great crowds came to the Lord, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute. They laid them at Jesus' feet and healed them. Can you imagine that scene? For three days straight this went on. There must have been dozens, hundreds healed. People blind from birth, seeing for the first time. Paralyzed people walking. Their nervous system healed. Their muscles growing strong enough to walk instantaneously. Missing limbs growing back. People shouting praise to God who were mute and had never said a word in their life. Parents able to hear a child say, I love you for the very first time. Just like Jesus repeated all these healing miracles for non-Jews, he repeated the feeding miracle for non-Jews to make it crystal clear where things were headed in God's plan. Suddenly, instead of an individual Gentile here and there experiencing a miracle from Jesus, we've got in this feeding the 4,000 men plus women and children 10, 12,000 people plus experiencing a miracle from Jesus. Just huge numbers. Often the numbers the Bible writers use are important. The 5,000 from the last miracle could refer to the five books of Moses, the core of the scriptures for the Jewish people, and the 12 baskets left over in that miracle could refer to the 12 tribes of Israel. So that one was all about Israel, all about the Jewish people. The 4,000 number here could refer to the four corners of the earth. The Bible refers to that more often in referencing the whole world. And the number seven Seven baskets left over is the number of completion, fullness, perfection. And so the message, uh, the gospel, salvation will go out to all the world so that all God's people are completely gathered. We're being told that Jesus has enough to provide for the needs of all people everywhere of all kinds. It's not limited to the Jewish people anymore like in the Old Testament and like it even was for the most part in Jesus' day. That's where things are going. When Matthew talked about the Canaanite woman in the previous text, and just by the way, if you 
if you're ever not here on a Sunday, like I'm referencing last week, um, and you want to catch a message, they're all, all our sermons, anyone preached here morning and night, they're available on our website. Um, you can listen to one at a time. You can subscribe to our podcast. You can also talk to the office and get a CD, DVD of an entire service if you like. Last week in the message, we were talking about uh, the Canaanite woman. And one thing I didn't mention at that time was that that to call her, so Jesus went up into Tyre and Sidon, today southern Lebanon, outside of Israel. Matthew says this Canaanite woman came to Jesus. Well, that was not the usual way to talk about people from that region in Jesus' day anymore. Uh, the politically correct word, and what everyone called these people, were Syrophoenicians. Matthew says Canaanite, though, um, that was the Old Testament word that, remember, Matthew was writing mostly to Jews. The Jews would know that word Canaanite because that referred to the ancient non-Jewish peoples who used to live where Israel is. So the ancient enemies of God's people. So do you see what Matthew's doing? You see it a bit, right? Even the longtime enemies of God and his people through faith in Jesus can become friends of God. And Jesus would go to the cross to make that happen. And in the cross, we read later in the New Testament uh, that there, through the cross, would be a unity between Jew and Greek and Gentile and Americans, and Mexicans, and Koreans, and Africans, and Native Americans. Unity between people who grew up in the church, believing, and those who came to faith later in life. The cross brings peace for all who believe. Peace in your heart and mine, definitely. But also a peace and a unity and a harmony with others who are part of the family of God. Right, right here in our midst, but everywhere around the world. This miracle and the healings before it proclaim that Jesus' miraculous provision is for the whole world. That's why the mission in Rehoboth started many years ago. Right, Dave? That's why we had Vacation Bible School to reach our kids and to reach the kids in our communities. Anyone can be saved if they but turn to Jesus. Everyone can be part of the family of God. What happened only here and there, the readers of Matthew were finding out, would become typical. There would be a new normal. The world would know and believe and be fed by the bread of life with miraculous resources that would fully and completely satisfy every hungering soul. We also see in our verses that Jesus empowers the church with his miraculous provision. The disciples are here with Jesus like they usually are, and they would be the founders of the New Testament church. The very last verses of Matthew, in Matthew 28, give the disciples the mission of going out to make disciples of all nations. And the church's work is to carry on and continue Jesus' work. And we see that here. 
Jesus does the miracle, but he uses the disciples. He took the loaves and fish, and when he had given thanks, we read, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. Jesus could have just as easily miraculously distributed the food too, but he doesn't. He chooses to use his disciples. Jesus said earlier, I have compassion for these people. And that's why he provides for them in their hunger. And if the church's work is to carry on Jesus' work, we're called to also have compassion for people who are hungering and thirsting for what only Jesus can provide. Do we have the compassion of Jesus? We're not exactly sure what the disciples meant in verse 33. Trying to find it here. When they say there, when Jesus says he wants to feed them, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? It's a really weird thing to say because they had just witnessed an almost identical miracle with the feeding of the 5,000. And we know the disciples are super dense, but not that dense that they would totally forget what God did there. So it could be that though what's going on and and why they're kind of hesitating and like, well, they're puzzled. It could be because though there were these occasional healings of non-Jewish people, they never in their wildest imagination imagined that Jesus would do something as big as feeding and doing miracles for all these Gentiles. You remember from last week, the Jewish people called Gentiles dogs. They treated them like dogs. There was a huge hostility, animosity between Jews and Gentiles. And so it could be that they're saying this, they're kind of putting a, the brakes on a little bit here uh, because they didn't have Jesus' compassion. They didn't care that all these people would be provided for. The Jews, definitely. God's special people, yes. Non-Jews, no way. And you know, the church today can be like that too as we think of of who we want to minister to, who we want in our pews, um, who we want to invite into our homes uh, to study God's Word together. Uh, People who are kind of like us, great. Teaching kids born into the church, of course, our precious covenant children. People who are sort of middle to upper class, dress nice, have their lives pretty together, absolutely. But the poor, the mentally challenged, addicts, people of other cultures. And and so I want to ask the question, do we have compassion that all God's children receive His miraculous provision. Jesus sure did, and and thankfully, He empowers us to have His heart for everyone. Even the difficult cases, people who are different, people who are, I think the term is extra love required. He empowers us for all those people as we go about our mission. William Temple there's a famous leader in the Church of England 
um, a while back, he once said, the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefits of its non-members. The church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefits of its non-members. And that's, that's a good reminder for us who sometimes think uh, the church is, well, it's, it's for me. It's for us. It's for those who are already here. But how, how William Temple describes it, that's how the church works in God's plan. We exist for others, my friends. And that's what Jesus shows us here. There's something else the disciples may have meant when they said, where could we get enough bread in this remote place? And it could be that they did remember what happened last time, um, but they could be like, you know, once again, like last time, we can't do it, Lord. We got all these people, you're, you're, look, you're asking us what to do, and we're like, we can't do it. We don't have the resources. Our resources are slim, so little, we're weak. Lord, we need you to pull off another miracle because we're not strong enough. We don't have what it takes. And, and that comes to mind as a church today, too, as we think of the lost, uh, people's need for Jesus, our call to have compassion enough to want to fill our church with people who need to hear of God's grace and love we say with all of that and knowing what God's mission is, Lord, we can't do this. We're not strong enough. You've, uh, in recent couple years, taken away key leaders from our midst and called them to glory so they're not doing the work with us anymore. Our resources as a church of our time and money and talents, they're finite they're small. And if we come to that conclusion as we think about the huge task that God gives us in the world, we've come to the right conclusion. Because if we think we can do God's work on our own, we've got a problem. Because we cannot do it. We need Jesus' empowering presence. We need His miraculous provision we need power far beyond our own power, and so we depend on Him. We open our hands, uh, some of us figuratively, some of us literally, and say, Lord, feed us and fill us so that we can feed and fill others. And you know what? He will answer that prayer, and He is answering that prayer, and He will and He does use us just as he used the disciples who were weak in faith on their own, sometimes doubting, maybe not always having the compassion for everyone that they should have, but God still used them to establish and build his church. And he can use us too, and he does. Dr. Dirk Berksma is a member of our church. Many of you know him. He's actually uh, preaching for us next week. Some of you may know he has ri he's written a devotional book, and I recently got it and started reading it, and I'd really recommend it. Um, when talking about Noah, he writes this in that devotional book. God fulfills his purposes through faithful human partners. 
And that's how God continues to work. And may he find Faith Church a faithful partner. And we totally can be because he empowers us through his spirit. He provides us in our finite resources with infinite resources from on high. Finally this morning, our text points to the fact that Jesus provides for you with his miraculous provision. The reason you and I are here in church this morning, the reason that we're part of the family of God, basically all of us, I think we have very, you know, there's probably people with, I don't know of any people who are Jewish by ancestry, but some may have some Jewish blood. But the reason, basically, all non-Jewish people here that were in the family of God, that were seated here today, is because of this sweep of God's plan in Jesus, moving from Israel to all nations. The miraculousness of God's forgiveness and grace and salvation is for you today if you put your faith in Jesus. In addition, the miracle of Jesus' provision is also for you as you continue to put your faith in him day by day. God's word says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. If Jesus saved you, that means he will take you safely one day to your eternal home. And if he's doing all that, he will certainly provide for you and for me the provisions that we need for the journey to get there as we live the rest of our lives on this earth. At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus promises, <clears throat> surely, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus promises, surely I am with you always. I need to cough bigger than I am. At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus promises, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a promise for the whole church as we do our mission, and it's a promise for each one of us today. He will miraculously keep you and sustain you for your life's journey. And all of us have different life's journeys. Some of them, some of us, they're hard. The ups and downs, any bends and turns on the path, it's a promise He will keep you and sustain you. On your journey. Nothing short of a miracle of God could do that. You know how life can be and all the challenges. Uh, the end of several key phases in Jesus' ministry all end with the feeding, like one today. The feeding of the 5,000 is the ending of basically his ministry in Israel. The feeding of the 4,000 is the ending in his feeding of uh, his miracles in Gentile territory. And then just before going to the cross, Jesus is going to gather his closest friends, the disciples, for the Last Supper, an intimate feeding. And one Bible scholar says, 
All of this shows us, and I believe what this guy says, it's crystal clear, Jesus never leaves any of his children hungry. In fact, he is more than enough for everyone. Uh, For the Israelites, there were 12 baskets left over, and that was the word for lunch basket, or even they used baskets for babies, like Moses, who was kept safe in the river in that basket. For the world, in our text, there were only seven baskets left over. And it's like less than for the lost sheep of Israel. But that's not the case at all. The word for basket in our text, remember the New Testament was originally written in Greek, the word for basket can also be translated hamper here. It's a different type of basket than the feeding of the 5,000. It's the type of basket that later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would climb in to get over and be let down the wall of Damascus. So a full-grown person could fit inside these seven baskets. So if anything, there might have been more leftovers in this miracle. There certainly weren't less. And, And you've got to know, friends, that this miraculous provision of Jesus, it's for you today too. His compassion, his ability to save you, to heal you, to renew you, to see you through the storms. His love is enough. We've got all these leftovers. In fact, his love is more than enough. At Vacation Bible School this past week, a little girl, uh, all the kids and leaders sat in these two middle sections Uh, Sarah led and Jonathan led some stuff at the beginning. During one of the songs uh, they were singing, the kids were singing, he loved me, he loved me first. Uh, Like I sort of said quickly before, uh, the words in these songs are just so powerful that these kids are singing in their hearts. He loved me, he loved me first. And at one point, this little girl sitting right at the front um, asked Sarah, who was standing up front, my wife, she was leading, in the middle of the song, and she says, what does it mean that, what does it mean he loved me first? And Sarah said, well, I don't know if I got this 100% right, but God loved us, and so we love him. And the little girl said, oh. And then she went happily back to her emotions and singing. Just a really special moment. Um, that simple trust, that receiving the message of God's love for us, first, just with the humble, simple faith of a child that we're called to have. That's what we need. We complicate things in terms of life. And and we have to be honest, life complicates things. But when it comes down to it, we just need to accept what the Bible says about Jesus' great compassion and his love and his care and his provision. You just go to Jesus and you trust in him. You just hold out your hand to receive his provision for you day by day. Everything's going to be okay. Jesus will give you everything you need for your life's journey. And he has enough for everyone you know, too. There's more than enough of what Jesus has if we would fill this church to overflowing, if it was standing room only, there'd be enough for every last person to be perfectly, fully fed and provided for by Jesus. 
And so let's share the good news. Let's distribute the bread of life. Let's have compassion enough to do it, to strategize how to do it, uh, to how to feed the hungering and the thirsting all around us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracles in your word. Thank you for how you miraculously save us, feed us, renew us. Lord, there are certainly times in our lives where uh, we wonder how we're going to get through the next day, the next week. I pray, Lord, that you could give us a, a greater trust in you, that if you saved us, if you have a place prepared for us in glory, that you will provide all that we need along the way too. Just like you provided for these people uh, who, in the history of your salvation, the history of the Bible, we see these Gentiles were enemies of you and enemies of, of Israel and, and the rest of the people of God. And Lord, we confess that we were enemies of you too. Uh, hostile towards you, and we, we continue to be uh, less than friends of yours, God, when we sin and when we go into deliberate sin. But we're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that um, you can miraculously change our hearts, our lives, uh, make us more like you. Help us, Lord, like the disciples here, like you call us to, to have compassion for uh, the world, for all those in need. Empower us to distribute the bread of life. Empower us to share you, Jesus, and do great things in our midst. Amen.